armchairs placed around a small coffee table. It all made her wonder not only why everything was brand new, but also who, in times of major police budget cuts, had authorised this kind of spending. Sitting down at her desk, she began to check through her work emails that had piled up during her holiday leave, but before long she was interrupted by the beep of her mobile. It was a text message from Langton saying he was running an hour late. Exasperated but not surprised, she went into the main office to tell everyone. Shrugging at her news, Paul Baroli headed into his office and Anna followed. Do you have time for a catch-up? she asked. Come on in, he said proudly. Anna smiled, knowing that this was the first time in his career that he'd had an office of his own. It's not as glamorous as yours, but I'm well pleased, he said, pulling out a chair for her, then walking behind his desk to sit opposite. Anna looked around and noticed there were pictures on the walls of classic sports cars. It's nice, but why all the photographs of cars? Classic cars are my hobby, he said proudly. So, have you seen Langton recently? Anna nodded, somewhat amazed that you could work with someone for so many years without knowing about a personal interest such as this. After the Oates case, I went back to cold casework at the yard and bumped into him a few times in the canteen. You? she asked. It's been a while, but he came to see me in hospital after Oates shot me, and then at home when I was on sick leave. Last time, he bought me a big bottle of malt whiskey. Said it was the best medicine money could buy. Baroli chuckled. An hour later found Anna and Paul deep in discussion with the rest of the team, when Langton finally made his appearance. He looked as if he had taken a well-earned rest. He was tanned and had lost weight, his hair longer. Everyone welcomed him. Barbara remarking to Joan that the new hairstyle suited him. He'd always worn it in a crew cut, but now it was combed back, making him look younger. He stood in front of everyone beaming and apologised for keeping them waiting, then loaded a USB stick onto a computer and asked them all to gather round. "'How do you like the new office?' he demanded as he quickly removed his suit jacket and hung it over a chair. Everyone nodded in approval and commented how modern it was. Well, I'm glad that's the case, as this is the first of its kind under a new modernisation scheme for the Met Homicide Command, Langton informed them. So, every murder team across London is going to get equipment like this? Barbara asked. Eventually. This, however, is your new working home, and you will be permanently based here. I live in Harlow. It would be a three-hour round trip every day, and if they stop our free rail travel, the cost will be astronomical, Barbara blurted angrily. But Langton ignored her. You're probably all wondering what your new case is, he said, as he opened his briefcase, removed a file and placed it on the table. Anna was slightly irritated that he hadn't discussed the details with her before informing the team, but she let it go for now. Langton touched the large plasma screen, and a picture came up of a handsome, light-skinned, mixed-race man. Langton informed the team that their victim, Joshua Reynolds, had been aged 31 and married to Donna Reynolds, now 27, and he had died just over six months ago from a single gunshot wound to the head. At the time of his death, Reynolds was co-owner of a club called The Trojan. As Langton spoke, Anna whispered to Joan to run Reynolds's name on the major investigation database. Quietly, Joan typed in the victim's details, but could find no sign of anyone by that name having been the subject of a murder investigation. "'Excuse me, sir, but there doesn't appear to be a computer record concerning the murder of Reynolds,' 
Anna said. If Langton was annoyed by the interruption, he didn't show it. That, DCI Travis, is because he was believed to have committed suicide and the inquiry was dealt with on Borough by the local detective inspector. It has since been alleged that he may have been murdered, and I have decided that the allegation will be properly investigated. Treat it like you would a cold case. He held up the thin case file. There's not much contained here other than seen photographs, copy of a suicide note found on his laptop, a statement from his wife who discovered the body, pathology and closing report by D.I. Sims. Anna knew Paul Sims well. He was an openly gay officer whom she had previously worked with on the Alan Rawlins murder. She'd found him to be a dedicated and competent officer and doubted he would have made mistakes or come to the wrong conclusions in this case. Has the coroner's inquest hearing been held? Anna asked. Yes, just over a month ago. And the verdict was? Anna inquired.